The rest of us turn to the book of Acts. And here we go. This is, uh, this is going to be fantastic. You know, I alluded a little bit to um, the title of today's message. And why did we choose Acts? I actually started praying about this last May. And with all that God is doing in, through, and around our church, it's fantastic. And where we're heading as a church and, and things that are happening even now as a church. Uh, there is so much that God is doing in, through, and around us that it's fun. It's actually fun to try to understand, estimate what is happening. And we sense as leadership here at CBC that, that God is preparing for us a new season. And with that, He's bringing very interesting people into our pathways. He is starting to launch new endeavors here at CBC. Uh, we're going to be, um, by, by June, we'll have an all-new staff, except for myself. Uh, we'll have an all-new staff. What is God doing? And so I thought, you know, this is a good time to go back and see what the church was. How did the church get established? Who did they become and why did they become? Why did they exist? How did they do what they did? And what can we learn by looking into those insights? So let's pray that, and you're off the hook today, but we'll start next week, that the Lord speaks to our hearts and to our minds and to our souls and that with everything in our strength, we will apply what we learned today. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we ask that you speak to us today through your word. Let your spirit be powerful in the room. Open the hearts and minds of all that are gathered here today. I thank you for the powerful message that Imelda brought to us. I thank you, Father, for those that effectively pray within our congregation. Lord, I lift up to you those that um, have had surgery or are sick um, or, or dealing with loss uh, this past week. It seems like this has been a, a, a heavy week um, at CBC in, in, that, in those terms, Father. And so you know, you know the hearts. Let your Spirit speak to those individuals even today. And thank you for walking through all of this with us. Open our hearts, our minds, our souls to what you have for us and let us apply it with all of our strength, God. To you be the glory. Amen. Well, as we look into all of this, and when you start a new book, when you start a new series, you know, we're going to be doing exposition. We're going to be going through just sequentially. So just know that you can, in your own time, in your own week, kind of go through these verses, kind of knowing that I'm going to do this based off the breaks, the thematic breaks is how we're going to outline what we're going to attack on any given Sunday. So you can be wandering around in there and thinking about it and, and devotionally um, kind of uh, uh, praying through what God could teach you through that passage. Really one of my desires for this sermon series is that we grow. That we grow. We get back to the basics and we get back to exactly where we're starting today. You know, a lot of the times we run through the intros to uh, uh, letters, epistles in, in the book, and we don't think that they really have much bearing. I think there's a lot of bearing. We're, we're only covering five verses today, my friends. 
Five simple verses, and yet they're not that simple. So are we the church? Are we ready to see what our distant cousins experienced and how that affects us and how we can grow in light of it? All right, turn to Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles. If you're fairly new to this, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got, we've got folks that will bring you one. Just put your hand up and keep it up and we'll, we'll have one come to you. And if you're fairly new to the Scriptures, Acts is in the Bible. So just look it up. Okay. No, Acts is kind of two-thirds from the front. It's, it's around Romans. It's around the Gospels. It's around John. And you'll find it there. Uh, what, why a book? Well, we've been doing a lot of topical preaching lately. All summer, and I did this series um, in the fall um, uh, about the essentials. And all of that is good. But you know, one of the things that is, is stridently important as a pastor is that we help you understand how to study the Word of God. And so every once in a while, I'm going to give you one of those points. You'll pick it up. And so write that into the Rolodex of study of your life and take those points and integrate that into your own personal study. But this, one of the reasons that you go through an exposition is so you can truly know and understand um, the concepts of what is in this book and what was God trying to communicate to you and why did this make it in the Bible? There's a lot of letters that were roaming around out there, right? Just get ready. At the, at the end of March, early April, just before Easter, tune into the History Channel and you'll see something on that notorious book of Thomas. All right? You know, the hidden book of Thomas. Folks, it didn't make the cut. All right? It got two stars. And there's a reason why. So that's a fascinating study in and of itself. Why did this book, the second book of Luke, make it in? So why a book? To become a student of the Word is key. Alright? To become a student of the Word is key for spiritual growth. Why this book? Well, we want inspiration and direction from the first church. How did all of this get started? Why are we meeting here? Is this what Christianity is all about? By the way, you attend Concord Bible what? Yes. And I've got a lot of pastor friends and a lot of believers that, that really get hung up with that, that statement. I don't get hung up because it's exhausting. I hate semantics. But by the way, you are Concord Bible Church. Right? Here's the church. Here's this. I always failed that. Okay, I never got it right. My fingers got, I got arthritis from it. I stopped. Okay. The church is not, this is the facility. And how sad if this had no life. Last week, this building failed us to a certain degree. Well, no, it held true for all of you. But for my sister-in-law, Cindy, who sat right there, it failed her and dripped right on her head. And that's why we have a hole in the ceiling. And that hole in the ceiling may represent the hole in your heart. And so, you see what I did there? That was pretty good, right? It's not even in the notes. You are the church, my friends. You are the bride of Christ. You are something special and unique. And Christ died for you. And because of that, you have been given eternal life. And you have a community of people that He has drawn in just like you that have the advantage of the Holy Spirit working in through and among us. And we have risen up and made a difference in this world. But we've got to know what our purpose is here because eventually 
we're gathered for that big service together that will never stop. Amen? But there's something for us to do here. So let's look at it. So let's look at the history of the book. I'll, I, I use the H word. I'm so sorry. All right, come on, hang with me. This point will only last for about 30 seconds. The author is? Very good. You get an A, Gary. Well done. The author is Luke. Luke was one of the 12 what? You all fail. If you said apostles, you fail. He was not one of the apostles. Luke was a doctor. Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, please report to um, the book of Acts. Um, If you're new here, that's my sense of humor. It's really cheesy. That's a spiritual word for it. Cheesy. That's the Greek for my sense of humor. So Dr. Luke is famous because he was part of Paul's entourage. All right? And it is stated that Luke wrote his gospel based off of somebody else in that entourage named Mark. So Luke wrote because he was a pretty intelligent guy. He understood that aspect. And he's in that time period where, where the Lord through the Holy Spirit was responding. And his gospel was written much later than the events of that gospel. Why did he write his gospel? Why did he write this book? He's writing to somebody. And we'll see it in the very first part here. So Luke is the author. The purpose, and I just hinted at it, is to tell Theophilus about the continued powerful work of Jesus in establishing the church through the Holy Spirit. This book is an apologetic. You see, Luke had some connection to an individual named Theophilus, and nobody knows, but there's speculation that Theophilus may have been a Roman um, uh, individual that could have been a part of the Praetorium, could could have been a centurion, could have been... But there's suspicion that he ran into Theophilus while on... Uh, some of these missionary journeys that he was doing with Paul. And Paul maybe was in the, in the Stoa, right? There in Athens where, where Paul was gathering in Athens and, and arguing about the, uh, the unknown God. Remember that? You're going to hear that coming up. Maybe it's in Corinth where uh, they were trying to establish it. Maybe it's in Ephesus where the church was huge but always suffering. But, but a huge Roman contingency. Who knows where he ran into Theophilus? But what was on his heart was some kind of encounter he had. And all speculation, but I suspect Theophilus was asking questions. Maybe he wandered into the stoa that day. And he heard, and he stayed back. And he started asking questions. And this just happened to be the person Theophilus, or I'm sorry, that Luke encountered. And it's not enough for Luke to have had that one conversation. So what does he do? He takes the time to get the information and write it down as an apologetic. This is who Christ is. This is what he did. Now, how do we know that? Let's start with this. In the first book, O Theophilus, which is the first book? It's his gospel, the gospel of Luke. So what is presupposed, what is implied here is that Theophilus has the first book already. Kind of cool, isn't it? Isn't this interesting? You're looking into a window of a dialogue, of a conversation, of a relationship that happened somewhere probably between 50 and 60 A.D. That's fascinating. 
And so there's this relationship between them, and Luke feels compelled to share the life of Christ with Theophilus. That is how you and I got the book that we quote from every Christmas, right? Luke has the best account of the, of the Christmas story. So now every time Christmas rolls around and you hear, you hear some of that, that Scripture rolling out, you just think of Theophilus. This was written to Theophilus, so he would know about the, the incarnation of Christ, right? He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in that first letter to Theophilus, he's saying, look, that letter was all about what Christ was doing in his ministry here on earth. What else does he say? Until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he's giving the timeline of what that first book was all about. And he's saying, look, in that book I gave you everything that Jesus did that you need to know. By the way, it's not everything Jesus did. It's everything you need to do to to know Jesus. His purpose. His plan. His ministry. His heart. His character. His power. His love. So he says, I've given you all of that information all the way up until the day when he was taken up, the ascension, right? After he'd given what? Commands through the Holy Spirit. So let's do some, some observations here real quickly. There's two takeaway thoughts for today. Before we get too deep into this, there's two takeaway thoughts today. I, I have this question, what's new? What's new? Do you ever do that with your friends? Hey, hey you know, what's new? What's, what's going on? I don't know that we ask that question anymore since social media, everybody throws out whatever is new, like in real time. We don't need to know. We've lost the sense of what's new anymore. But what's new? The church is new. So new they have no idea that they're the church yet. All things are new. There's a new covenant. The law is done. And they they spend the better part of a century, actually the church has spent the better part of its total existence trying to move on from all the legalism that the law brought. What's new? Freedom in Christ. There's so much for us to to look at. So when today's sermon is titled, A New Beginning, I want you to think of it in, in these terms. Number one, for these individuals, as he's writing to Theophilus, he's saying there's something new. It's Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Him. And, and so here's that first Gospel. By the way, there's more that's new. I have to share with you what happened as a result. Since Jesus ascended and He gave these commands to, to the apostles, I want to share with you, I'm compelled to show you what's happened as a result. And for you and I today, we should be asking, what is new? There should always be something new when we have relationship with Christ. Amen? And we'll get to that point in just a minute. So here's two things. Number one, this is what he starts with. There's two key components that he says are new. Number one, the indisputable fact of Christ's resurrection. The indisputable fact of Christ's resurrection. Some of us today, we've got to refresh our course of what the resurrection was about and the importance of it. Maybe for some of us, we still need to believe in that resurrection. We need to taste of the power of the resurrection. The second thing is the indispensable presence of the Holy Spirit. These are the two components that he starts the entire book of Acts with. What's new, you say, Theophilus? Let me share with you. All things are new since the resurrection. And not only that, something has radically changed now for God's people. 
It's called the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what that's all about. So those are the two takeaway thoughts today, and we'll get to that when we finish up. Our observations is that, number one, Acts is a book two of a two-volume set, and it's written to, and you'll hear this later, most excellent Theophilus. It's written as an apologetic. Luke references his gospel, which deals with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Then we see here in this verse that I have highlighted, verse 2, that Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. He didn't give suggestions. And much of the time, brothers and sisters, this is where the church loses track. Is that we think that a lot of what Christ said was in the passive tone, yes. But folks, there were things He said that weren't so passive. They were direct, imperative commands. And who did He start with? He started with His leadership group. By the way, how great was that team? Right? In the moment of crisis, all but John fled. Right? The guy who he put over the entire church, that'd be a pretty important position, wouldn't it? Sits there and denies him three times when Jesus said, you're going to do it. And he, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. It's like when my daughters you know, put out cookies and they warn me, Dad, I'm making fresh cookies. I just want to warn you, don't touch them. You're not supposed to eat those. And they come back, and there's three missing. And there's like a CSI investigation that always starts here. Here. So they're in there, you know, smelling my breath and checking my clothes for crumbs and things like that. Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit to His apostles. You know, there was a difference as to why they succeeded so well in the book of Acts. And we have that new difference. You see, they were new. Something changed. From a gang of, of misfit fishermen, tax collectors, um, some scholars, um, they turned into a solidified, sold-out, martyr group of witnesses for Christ, which we'll get to next week. What? Gave them that power. Now they walked with Jesus. You would think that'd be enough, right? How many of you have always said that? If I could have just walked with Jesus, right? <laughs> they didn't get it done. But what, what Luke says is that the presence of the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. You know, there's a suggestion that as you look at the title, my Bible says right here, the Acts of the Apostles. There's a suggestion that it should be rewritten, the Acts of the Apostles through the Holy Spirit. That's a very true and and very poignant statement. What about us? What is new for us? And why is it new? What needs to be new? What are we trying to do in our own strength like the apostles were before the giving of the Holy Spirit? And what is it that we could do because of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Let's move through this again. Verse 3. What's what's the next point? Luke speaks to the reality and importance of the resurrection. He speaks to the reality and importance of the resurrection. He says this in verse 3. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs. By many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, if the resurrection happened, it should revolutionize and change the world as we know it. 
if we doubt the veracity of the resurrection, we will never glean anything from the power of the resurrection. Now, Jesus says to Thomas, you remember Thomas, right? Huh? What? What? Right? That guy? He shows himself to Thomas. And Thomas sees. And therefore he believes. Those are Jesus' exact words. He says, you see, you believe because you see. But then Jesus was speaking about you next. He says, but blessed are those who believe and will never see. You see, the challenge for you and I today is that we adopt this. We, we, we come into the church. We're adopted into the church. This is new to us, this faith, because of the power of the resurrection. The resurrection changed all. And Luke knew, being of sound mind and sound body, that he would have to speak to someone of a Roman um, uh, prestige, if you will, and say, by the way, it's not just a rumor. This, you know, fast forward 20 years. Theophilus probably wasn't there. But he's hearing about it. And, and what's the very first thing Luke thinks he needs to hear about? It's the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection. And so he says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many what? Proofs. Proofs. Folks, remember, we're saying that this is an apologetic. He's speaking to someone who's got questions but isn't there yet. And so he's presenting Christ to him in the message of the gospel and the message of freedom through Christ. And he's saying the resurrection makes all things new. It's a game changer. And I'm going to imagine you're going to doubt it. So let me tell you, there were many proofs. And so he goes on to just speak to several of them. Appearing to them for how many days? Right? The doctor articulating, take this for 40 days and call me in the morning, right? And speaking about the kingdom of God. That was Christ's message over that time. So he's giving commands to the apostles. He has risen, he's appeared to many, and he's giving understanding about the new kingdom. All that is new, all that is going to transpire. By the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a great place to go when you look and, and you're wanting to do an apologetic, you're wanting to talk someone through this about the resurrection and the proofs of the resurrection. All right, then what, what else? Verse 4, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke chooses to refer back to a conversation Christ had while with the apostles. Why? Why would he pick this conversation out to be the very first thing he writes about along with the resurrection? Luke chooses to emphasize a discourse that introduces a new kind of baptism. Luke then speaks to the Father's promise for the Holy Spirit. John 14 speaks about this. This is where you find that conversation where Jesus talks about the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, I'm going to turn there real quickly and read this to you. Luke 24, uh, verse 49, uh, is again a, a, another area where Luke is quoting himself, right? He, well, he's quoting his, his first uh, gospel and trying to give a reminder, which is right where he left off with the first book, He's trying to give a reminder to Theophilus. Let's just segue right off of this point, right off of what was said. And verse 49 says this, 
And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then Luke refers to the ascension in the closing verses of that Gospel. So he's focusing on the resurrection and the power of the promise of the Holy Spirit. These are new concepts to people. These are game-changing concepts to people. So this morning, as we work through that, we see what? Before I get to this point, we see that he's engaged with someone who's asking questions. This morning, are you asking questions? Are you asking what is the veracity, what is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The power, is it real? Is it real? And so Luke's answering these questions. What a beautiful thing to walk through now. Let's examine the reality of, did this work? What was the result of Christ's work, the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit? Folks, that's the journey we're embarking on now. And it should make things new for us. As he finishes, he talks about two key components. He's done all of his setup work for Theophilus, and he leads him into this, and he says two key things here that are very, very important, and I want to focus on them, and then we'll close today with a little bit of a challenge. So, focusing on verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, that's a pretty important statement coming directly from the Father. So, what's the difference? And this is where getting in and doing uh, expository understanding of the Scriptures is important. So you truly understand. So when pastor gets up and he says, hey, we're having a baptism class. Oh, that sounds great. I hate classes. I don't want to go to class. You know, why would I be interested in that? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, do we or do we not want to please our Father in heaven? Yes, absolutely we do. So we should know what it is that pleases Him. And one of those things that pleases Him deeply is baptism. Now, we have this statement that's an enigma right? It's so mysterious to the disciples. Put yourself into that moment, insert yourself, if you will, and, and maybe you're Andrew. I don't know, maybe um, you're Judas. No, no, you're not. Maybe you're Andrew. Let's just stop there. And Jesus says just before the events of the Passion Week happened, He says, now my Father has said, you know, you understand John's baptism, but a day is coming where you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, an obvious question is this. Do we no longer participate in John's baptism? Well, we kind of have to define that, don't we? So let's define it. Let's look at it. Water baptism is John's baptism. By the way, baptism was happening before Christ came. Christ came and He was what? He was baptized. So I was listening uh, last night as I pulled back in the parking lot. I, I went home, uh, grabbed some dinner. Um, watched a little bit of sports on ESPN and then came back about 10 o'clock last night to wrap some things up in here. And um, I'm listening to uh, a, a Christian radio station and I didn't realize I'd landed on the Catholic radio station. And um, I realized pretty quickly though after I was listening to some stuff that was going on. And, and what was key is the individual talked about the differences of baptism. Does baptism save you or does it not? And this person was a Protestant and they were talking about that journey of trying to... They're hearing all these different things. 
What saves you? What doesn't save you? And there are churches that will teach you what saves. Here's my challenge to you. Did Jesus need saving? No. Which is really an interesting concept because He came to die. Right? And, and you would think we should save Him. That's what Peter's vote was. You know, never, Lord. I'm not going to let you go and suffer that and, and get thee behind me. Satan, you don't understand, Peter. But Jesus came to suffer so that we might have life. But Jesus started His entire ministry by doing what? Getting baptized. Anybody scratching their head yet? So I would say that baptism, water baptism, John's baptism isn't necessarily connected. Well, that, that, that leaves room, right? I just said that passively. Let me be emphatic. Let me give a command. It does not save you from hell. All right? That isn't emphatic enough. Now, before the cross, there was a process of going through ceremony, of repentance of sins, and having to do that continually. And the high priest was your advocate, and he would make penalty, he would do the sacrifices for your sins, and you were under that umbrella. But remember, we're talking about a new beginning now. There's a new thing. It's called the resurrection And Hebrews says, for one time, one time, sacrifice was paid for all sins. Thank you, brother. For one time, sacrifice was made for sins. So there's no longer need for the sacrifice of bulls and goats and on and on, right? That it is through Christ that our sin is covered. We are redeemed through that action. And so... Why would Christ... Here's why. I'm just going to get to the point. Because a lot of people were getting baptized back in the day. And there were many people like John wandering through the countryside. It it kind of was like the Tony Robbins of the day. Okay? These guys would get a following. If ever you hear things... You'll hear it in Acts coming up about the zealots. You'll hear about Simon the Zealot. Right? There were a lot of these guys out there on infomercials. And they were saying, come follow me. I will lead you into this next thing. Right? And so you would get baptized by that individual or one of his lackeys. So why did he specify, the Father specified John's baptism? Because John was paving the way for whom? For Jesus Christ. Now when you got baptized by John, you were identifying with the prophecy that talked about John and talked about how he would be the forerunner to Christ. You were identifying with that. We have Two people here that are identifying and making a prolific statement as to who their favorite football team is. Gary and Shelley. Now, you're laughing, right? Because it's obvious that it's these two Green Bay fans right here. This is a great illustration. You had no idea you were going to be part of my illustration today. Folks, I always say this. When you get into baptism class, I say it's like wearing your team jersey. You're letting everybody know who you what? Identify with. That's what John's baptism was. That's why Jesus did John's baptism. Is he saying, all these works I'm about to do, I do in the name of my Father. And I want you to understand, I'm going to come underneath John's baptism so that there's no question as to who I'm doing, and to fulfill the prophecy. Now, you'll see as we get into Acts, coming up pretty quickly, probably in 12 weeks, you're going to see this great day of Pentecost, and you're going to see 5,000 were baptized that day. 
And we're going to talk more about baptism and the process of baptism as we get into it. But let me, let me break this down. Ba- water baptism is to signify your spiritual commitment through a public ceremony to clarify who you identify with. It is a public statement about a personal act of faith. That's what water baptism is. And by the way, Jesus says to his apostles, one of his commands, one of his imperatives, not so softly dealt, was go, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if we're believers in Jesus Christ, is this passive language? This is option B. This is like a vacation package. We can choose A, B, or C. Folks, it is an obedience issue. And that may be a new thing for you. We're talking about new today. That may be a new idea for you. Is that God your Father, if you have faith in Him and you have made a personal proclamation of faith, there needs to be obedience in following this ordinance of the church. Not according to your pastor, but according to Jesus Himself. All right? Now, you may say, wow, pastor, you're like really giving it to us today. No, I'm a big chicken. Because other scripture says that if I don't teach you these things, I'm going to be held accountable. And the the movie running in my mind is God sitting there saying, you know, Jeremy, how come you didn't tell them? You know, you didn't share this. You didn't share this. So, So now I'm off the hook. I feel better about myself already. Water baptism involves immersing oneself into water to demonstrate our complete surrender and identification with Jesus' death and resurrection. The Jewish nation is into symbolism, if you haven't caught that on, or caught on to that yet. Symbolism has a powerful effect, just like my illustration here of the hole in the church can be reflective of the hole in the church, right? Or the illustration of the jerseys, right? Symbolism means something. And so the process of water baptism, we practice immersion all the way down, all the way up. Let me read to you out of Romans, uh, Romans 6 this morning, so you understand a beautiful picture of that. Is is Pastor Jeremy just making that up, or or is this stuff that that we really deal with? This is Paul's view on it. He says, what shall we say then, verses 1 through 4, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in what? Newness of life. Newness of life. It's a beautiful picture of why we do this process of going down and back up. Now, we'll speak more to baptism in that baptism class and clarify any questions. So contact us via email. And we have our own baptism now. And our baptism, our actual baptism will be in here, in the service, together, and we will celebrate. It's going to be fantastic. Next, baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying John's baptism, that that it's not necessarily, you know, if the Holy Spirit comes, then why practice baptism, John's baptism anymore? It nullifies, right? It's different. No, not necessarily. It's something that's added on to. It's ancillary. It's, it's auxiliary. All right? It's a new thing. And there's two baptisms here that are going on. And you'll see that because the early church practiced baptism, John's baptism through water. 
But the early church were the first ones to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to give a very cursory, for you who are knowledgeable about all these things, you're thinking, oh my goodness, we should be done by now, and he's just getting into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How are we going? Well, because the Spirit makes miracles happen, folks. And I'm just going to transpose the thoughts into your head within 32 seconds. No, we're going to give a, a cursory look at it because the Scripture coming up gives better opportunity to teach on the differences. Just so you know, there are differences of opinion as to what baptism of the Holy Spirit means. You're going to hear an introductory as far as our understanding of that here at Concord Bible. So baptism of the Holy Spirit. First of all, understand that He promised it. The Father promised that this is what's going to happen. You were baptized under John's, and that's good, but there's a new thing coming. There's a new thing coming. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the way, these were uh, pretty much a wandering band of gypsies up until what moment? Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem and wait. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. What were they waiting for? The Holy Spirit to come upon them. And what an unbelievable result. To do what we do without the Holy Spirit wouldn't be very attractive. We would be muddling around as human beings. You know what? Some Sundays, I wonder how much I have garnered and asked and requested that the Holy Spirit truly minister here. I'll get home and I'll be evaluating and I'll be praying and I'll be thinking and I'm thinking, I just don't know. And then I'll get a call saying, Pastor, you know, this really spoke to me or that really, or, or somebody came up to me and, and had no idea I was hurting and yet they came and they prayed with me, Pastor. We pray for this every Sunday. We pray for it continually in your lives throughout the week that you would walk in newness under the power of the Holy Spirit because it is radically different, is it not? And on any given day, I can walk in that power. Now, you're going to see by this Scripture that as a believer, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're going to get some theology here. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But imagine a garden hose, right? And you've got water going through it. Now, you can kink that garden hose. And how's the flow? Not very good. Is there water still in it? There's water still in it. But this is what sin does to the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life. Is that when we sin, it's like kinking that garden hose and now the flow stops. The Holy Spirit's there, but He's not flowing. And if you're a fisherman, you understand what happens to water when there's no flow. You're going to have all the intake you want, but if there's no outtake, the lake becomes stagnant. It becomes polluted. It becomes toxic. And that happens in our life, brothers and sisters. When we entertain sin, it kinks the garden hose, and now the flow of the Holy Spirit stops. But the baptism is very, very different. I'm I'm talking about the indwelling there a little bit. The baptism is very different. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is to signify God's mark upon those who place their trust in Him as a deposit into an inheritance in heaven. It is a singular moment for you and I That moment happens, and let's turn to Ephesians. We dare not talk about this without getting the scriptural understanding on this. And then we'll wrap up with some questions. Not from you. 
questions I'm going to give to you to wrestle with this week. I, I don't take questions. That's too hard. All right. So Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. Now listen, listen carefully. In Him, Him being Christ, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what has to happen here? Number one, a message has to be proclaimed. And, and Paul does a great job in talking about this in Romans, how, in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? He says, how are, how are people going to hear unless someone speaks? And how is someone going to speak unless they are sent? And, and there's a great sequence there. But he's saying, you have to hear, you have to understand in order to obtain this, this inheritance. And upon hearing this, hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you did what? You believed in Him. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit came upon you. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And here's the fantastic part. Here's some more doctrine for you. That for those who truly believe, and, and the best thing I can do for you to help we're going to skirt up against this again, just real briefly. I'm wetting your appetite for all these doctrinal deep truths. For assurance of salvation, I always encourage people to go to the, the parable that Jesus spoke about the soils. Am I always saved? Folks, there are many people who sign the contract and have no heart attachment to it whatsoever. That didn't come from God. That just, <clears throat> that just came from self. Reaching out for self. You see, the Holy Spirit has to do the encounter that draws you in. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps you move from what 1 Corinthians 2 says is foolishness at one moment to that which you're willing to die for the next moment. Only the Holy Spirit can lead you into that. And that's why when that moment of truth hits you, when the, when the veil, 2 Corinthians 4, when that veil is lifted by the Holy Spirit and now what seemed obscure is now crystal clear, it's what's called irresistible grace. You cannot resist it. And the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals that to you and you respond in belief. And because of that, you are what? According to this, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And here's the even better part. That's such great grammar. Here's the even better part. It's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is new for the church. The Spirit makes you new and frees you from old, broken ways. This is the importance of the Holy Spirit. Did, did, did I have you at Holy Spirit? I hope so. Remember, Luke is speaking to a guy who's asking questions. He's searching. He's a seeker. And he says, let me tell you about the entire life of Christ here so you understand who He is. Now you need to understand the resurrection and, and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. These are game changers, man. The whole thing is new. And now I'm going to prove my point with 42 chapters. Right? But let's not move too fast past the introduction. Because that salts the entire story for you and I. We are here 
because of the resurrection. We are here because of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's be new in that. Let's have a new beginning in that. Baptism of the Holy Spirit demonstrates God's mark and evidence upon the true believer. I'm just going to reference this. I encourage you to, to look at it and study it later throughout the week as an as a, uh, ancillary approach to our Scripture this morning. Here's some questions for you. What's new for you? What is new for you? How does the indisputable fact of Christ's resurrection affect you? Well, Jesus' message was verified and credible because of the resurrection. If He had not risen from the dead, the Pharisees knew it, Pilate knew it, Caesar knew it, the scribes knew it, the high priest knew it. Keep this guy in the grave and the message is done. Didn't happen. So this should be something that responds a new um, action in our life. If you ever need some motivation, brothers and sisters, in your daily walk in Christ, I encourage you to look to the resurrection because there's power in it. Amen? Jesus' resurrection means He has power over death. How many of you are worried about dying? I told you last week about the picture I have in my office over all my, you know, all my Jer things, you know, all my big accomplishments. It's there to humble all those accomplishments. And it's a picture of the baptism of Eric. And I'll never forget the day I prayed with Eric when he was dying. He had stage 4 cancer. And, and what cancer does to the body is, is unmentionable. And Eric didn't even... Not only did he not look like Eric, he didn't even look like a human being. And he was struggling and struggling and struggling. He would not move on. But he couldn't speak. And the family didn't know what to do. And the family was upset. And the family was suffering. And that's me. And I'm like, I want, I don't want. You know, that's one of those moments. That's why we make the big bucks. Right there. It's the guy who either pushes the nuclear button or the guy who knows what to say when someone's dying. I don't know what to say. So I prayed. And who do you think spoke to me? He gave me something new for the moment. And I saw fear in Eric's eyes. When I slowed down, when I stopped, I saw fear in Eric's eyes. And I realized, hey, I only had a few moments with Eric. I don't know what he knows. I don't know what he doesn't know. So I pulled out the Scriptures and I started reading out of Revelation 20 and 21. I started reading out of Revelation 4 and describing heaven. And I asked Eric, I said, are you fearful to die? And I could see it in his eyes that that was exactly what was going on. And I said, Eric, let me tell you where you're heading. I would gladly trade places with you right now. Let me tell you where you're heading. And I read those passages. He passed within eight hours of reading those passages. You see, because of the resurrection, Jesus has power over death. That's a new message to the world. Jesus' resurrection means He's provided new life for me. Many of us have histories, right? That's the buzzword today. Many of us have histories. Many of us have challenges. Many of us are swamped by those things. And we're saying, I wish I could relocate. <laughs> I wish that all of my bills would find somebody else with my name and just send them there. I wish that... And on and on it goes sometimes. You know, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, no day is new. How many love the movie Groundhog Day? 
Now, some of you wish you could have Groundhog Day. You, you hate change. You just want routine and you want it to happen the same way. Ever. I don't know about I got you, babe, waking up on the radio, but you would love the routine. You know, here's the thing with the Holy Spirit. It's always new. It's always new. And that means you grow. It means you can have the chance at a new life every day. Amen? Amen. That's because of the resurrection and what He's had over death. Now, how does the indispensable presence of the Holy Spirit affect you? Well, the Holy Spirit means I can walk in power of newness. How many of us feel like we need that on a daily basis? The Holy Spirit means I can walk out of death into life. That, that's the most important message of all of faith in Jesus Christ. Get that one straight, and we can move into the other things, such as the Holy Spirit means I can have a deposit in heaven. And I like finishing there, because that's what this is about. It's about where we end up. Let me go ahead and close in prayer this morning. And be prepared as we move through the book of Acts to attend to what you're going to hear and what you're going to learn with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? Amen. And if you brought your offerings today, thank you. Um, as you leave, uh, the cards with the prayer requests on the back go in the box on the right, and the offerings go in the box on the left. And we're looking forward to making some announcements about some things like that. We voted in our new budget um, last Sunday, and it, it was overwhelmingly approved. So we're excited about all that God is doing um, in, through, and around Concord Bible Church. Let me pray for you. Father, take this message today. Take our act of worship. May it be pleasing to You. Let us be a people that find a new beginning because of the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Let us listen to these words by Luke and see the importance of it in and understand how things were changed from an imperfect into a beautiful, dynamic sense because there was power behind the resurrection and because there's daily power through the Holy Spirit. And as we hear the histories, as we watch what happens, let us see all these proofs. But Father, let us ask the, the, the big question in our own lives, how does this affect me? And what can be new in my life because of what I'm learning? Father, I pray over our coming week that as we intersect with maybe some Theophiluses out there that we would have the words of encouragement. Lord, as we intersect with ourselves and with our own soul that we would ask the Holy Spirit to attend to those needs. But that, Lord God, we would never feel uh, uh, shaken because we rest in the power of the resurrection, God. Thank You for new beginnings. We say all this and attend to You according to Your glory by the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.